Since 1962, NG Farah has exemplified a steadfast commitment to service, creativity and hard work. Established from humble beginnings and still independently owned today, the business has grown to three offices that are strategically located to provide you with the most comprehensive real estate coverage in the southeastern region of Sydney. NG Farah have forged an enviable reputation for consistently delivering outstanding results. And Dimitriou steps out of the challenges and he scores Jason Dimitriou. What an effort. What does that mean to John Keir? The referee wants everything checked around to play the ball area to see how the ball eventually arrived in Dimitriou's hands. But you don't get better than this, do you? Two of them had a go. No one decided to go for the legs. Nutley and Ward started it all off with poor defence, and this will be TRY. Dimitriou, does he get the try for Wakefield? Yes, he does. And the Wildcats go wild. Over to this radio podcast, Grant Chapel, Steve Maven, and Darren Brown. <laughs> Chaps is red hot here, so my phone was running hot there for a while. But could you catch him? Well, only if I got a bit of a start. <laughs> it's great for rugby league, but more importantly, it's great for the mighty Rabbitohs. Welcome to another edition of Rabbitohs Radio. My name is Grant Chapel. I'm joined by two former Rabbitohs: Dan Brown, Steve Maven. What's going on, boys? Hello, chaps. Hello, Brownie. Yeah, good day, boys. Well, what's happening? I'm in a bit of a better situation today. I'm ready, prepared. Yeah, 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 a bit more bubbly this week. Yeah, 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 a bit more bubbly. Yeah, we're coming off a big one. Yeah, I was sure. like a support player last week, wasn't I? We had you on the wing. Yeah, you, I, ba- you, I backed no, up. You did one or two scurries. I backed up a few times. Wasn't bad. Yeah, I had Mavo in the front row, and I was playing him behind him. But yeah, it was good. <laughs> no, we had we had a good episode there, boys. Um, the weather in Sydney has been outstanding for any of those listeners that aren't living in Sydney at the moment. We have had just the best weather you, you could ever wish for, couldn't you, the last yeah. seven days. Sensational. And chaps, you've got Maruba Beach open for the public, I hear. Well, there you go. I might just kick off the shout-outs with a shout-out Ramwick Council. Now, over the weekend, uh, I was, well, we've been closed down there at Maruba Beach for three weeks, and me and my mates are getting a bit frustrated down there, not being able to surf, and I started looking some of the rules on their website and trying to find it a little loophole and I spoke to a few police officers and my mate Nudge did as well and they basically said if you go off the rocks have a surf do some exercise doesn't matter what it is go back up the rocks we can't stop you and I said alright is that right okay well geez, I wouldn't mind doing that anyway I went down the beach last Wednesday afternoon not a soul in the water perfect little waves in Dunny Bowl the little bank we call at North Maribra I said alright boys let's go let's get out there before I know it, surrounded by beach inspectors, oh, you got to get out of the water. And they were just doing their job, nothing, nothing against them. But we just had the, we just had the, the typical line there. Sorry, boys, we're out here exercising. Jumped off the rocks, going to have a few waves, and don't want to get you upset. We're going to get back up the rocks and, and head off home after that. Keep our social distancing. Um, adhere to all those laws, and sure, there's a big crowd starting to build by by this stage. The jet skis are surrounding us. Trying to, they're just doing their job, telling, ordering us out, and we're saying, "Oh no, we're, we're exercising out here." Any beaches we know there? Oh, it might have been a couple of heads, you know, yeah. yeah. Without without naming any names, but 
And uh, sure enough, that was the straw that broke the camel's back from there on in. People were just jumping off the rock surfing for, until the council ended up having to make an announcement yesterday in conjunction with Surfing New South Wales and a couple of the board riders clubs down there. And um, the beaches are back open. But yeah. for recreational use only. Oh, yeah, you can't sunbake, but it's uh, that, that's strictly, just... Strictly exercises and, and get down there and have a walk. Shout and, out to yep. Randwick Council, in particular Toddy Clark, the director of beach services down there. Common sense prevailed. Um, thanks very much, um, boys and girls. Get right. in and enjoy enjoy the beach. Have a dive in. Get off the beach. Don't muck around down there. Well, I was Have down there. Surf. I was down there myself yesterday, chaps, doing a couple laps of the soft sand and push-ups. Um, well, I did do the push-ups. Yeah, done it on the cube and uh, raise it that uh, with what's going on today. There's there's a lot of um, competitions and. The challenge is going on on social media, and I've taken up one which is uh, raising awareness for mental health issues. And, and you boys have been nominated, but you haven't started yet, I've noticed. Um, and it's 25 push ups in 25 days. I've been practicing, mate. I'm up to seven so far. Well, mate, you, you <laughs> can in stop. A month. You it's can, in a month. You can stop. You don't have to do all 25. And, I might uh, do one. I might do a couple on the, on the uh, Rabbitohs Radio floor. Yeah, right well, I'm going to do mine uh, straight after the show. I'll, I'll count them on the show and we'll video it and we'll put it up on our on our uh, socials and Mavo will, will do his editing work. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Get involved, guys. If uh, if you're not involved, if you want to be nominated by myself or Mavo or Chaps, just send us a message and uh, and we'll get you involved. 25 push-ups in 25 days. There you go. And you've got a birthday to mention, Brownie. I have. Uh, Mrs. Farrah, uh, mother of Glenn Farrah. So Doreen was 94 last wow. Friday, 94 years old, and she's a big supporter of the show. What a marvel. Listens, uh, listens every week, without a doubt. And one other thing, um, if you go into the Kingsford office, not now, of course, because she's not allowed out. She's in isolation, being 94. You know, she's got to stay indoors. But normally, every day in the Kingsford office, for the last, wow, I don't know, 50 years. So if you walk in there, she greets you, great customer service, and that's what you get at NG Farrah. You do, you do indeed. Happy birthday, Mrs. Farrah. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Now, I've got some shout-outs brought to you by Export Freight Systems, and the first one is Gary Jajara's book, Rugby League is the Winner. And he sent us a copy, and it's all cliches. It's quite a good little coffee table book. Cliches like... Forwards go forward, doing the little things right. And doing the little things right is good for us because that's what we need to do on this show. Yeah, make well, sure, make well, sure the execution's right. I know myself, what, I like to read what, one book at a time. Is that one in there? Or? <laughs> what about the game was in the balance? Game was in the balance? Yeah, so we all use our cliches, not just about footy, but in our everyday life. So it's quite a good little read. And like us here on the podcast, we're growing in confidence. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. There, there you go. It's written right there on the page. It's right here, yep, so page 37. So you can go to uh, rugbyleagueisawinner.com. I think he's got them for sale there for $10. So it's a, it's, a it's a bit of fun. Budget thing, and it's good for the lockdown. On the coffee table? Yep, it yep. is. Some great quotes there. Now, there's also some online forums that we've joined. The Rabbitohs, which is southsydneyrabbitohs.net. There's another one called whitelinefever.com. And another one called the Rabbitoh Warren, which is warren.rabbitohs.net. Now, we've jumped on there and marching on, a.k.a. Troy D sent us a message and said, have a look at the Chelsea Old Boys page on Facebook. And we've all jumped on there, boys. Good old junior rugby league team, Chelsea. Yeah, 
Yep, yeah. Chelsea. Um, yeah, my dad actually played with uh, Chelsea. He was, I think, he might have been the junior champion back in back in A grade. But Chelsea legend. Chelsea legend. Um, and he was a hundredth member, and he's been rewarded with a hundred dollar voucher uh, yeah. at their next do. I think uh, you know, their next uh, Chelsea hole made to do. And well, who what? was ninety ninth? He, he was unlucky. Ninety nine. Grand Chapel. Yeah, Grand Chapel. <laughs> Grand Chapel. <laughs> I just want to give mention to Warren Thompson, who is also involved in that page. And uh, Warren is uh, a member of the Men of League, and, and um, is also a well-being officer in the Sydney metro area. Uh, I go back a long way with Tomo. Uh, I went to uh, school with his young bloke and, and uh, Troy. Played a bit of footy with him at Brighton Seagulls. And uh, okay. Warren Thompson, a shout-out to you, mate. Uh, you're doing a great job and uh, keep up the good work with both the Chelsea old mates and, more importantly, the men of league. Oh, the men of league are great. Just a little bit more on uh, the Chelsea old mates. Uh, a little bit of trivia. Blake Solly's dad... Our own Blake Solly, his dad Chris played with uh, Chelsea, and only a few years ago um, they presented Blake with the Player of the Year Shield, which his old man won in 1968. So your dad and Blake's dad are both Chelsea legends. They are small world. It's a very small world. Now, also last week I made mention of some stats that I got from NRLStats.com. Now that was the old site, but the actual site that we use is Rugby League Project. And it's rugbyleagueproject.org. That's a fabulous resource. And there's some three guys that put that together on a voluntary basis. Sean Dolan, Andrew Ferguson, and Bill Bates. They love the game. They love the stats. So that's where you can go and type in any player, look up how many games they played, how many tries, look at all the dates and the referee and the crowd of games dating right back. I know I use it a lot myself when we're... Trying to do a review on a player or a former coach, whatnot. But yeah, they're fantastic. Thanks, thanks, guys at Rugby League Project. Okay, we'll go to a break now here on Rabbitohs Radio. Well, my grandfather's red and green, and all his brothers too. But without this community, what are they to do? Raised in the depression. And just thankful to be fed You do the right thing all your life And this is what you get Well grown men they don't complain Though a broken man might cry But at least they saw South Sydney At least they saw them rise They will always know South Sydney With glory in their eyes Welcome back, listeners. Rabbitohs News, brought to you by the Juniors. Now, we just want to thank the Rabbitohs for sharing our episode details for the last few weeks. They actually made a Instagram story post with the swipe up, so you can swipe from the story straight up to the episode. So that was fabulous, and we thank you for that. Yeah, thanks. Thanks to all you guys in the Rabbitohs media team down there. We appreciate the support. In these tough times now, the best thing that you could do to support the mighty South Sydney Rabbitohs is jump on and be a member. Now, I've been a member since 1998 with my dad and my brother and Cashy, our mate Cashy. Now, you can do this for as little as $110, which is not a big sacrifice over 12 months if you want to break it down. It's only a couple of dollars a week when you think about it. Yep. Or you could get 
go up as far as what, what we've got, which is a season pass. And we've had the same seats from the City Football Stadium. We're on the halfway line there. And when they transferred out there, we got ourselves on the halfway line. And we've got our same seats every every week for a home game. And if we want those for the semi-finals, it, it comes at another extra cost that we can get those same seats for the semi-finals. How so long have you had them for, chaps? Yeah, no, I saw saying, just 1998, yeah. 1998, yeah. So. And if you just do join as a non-ticketed member for that 110, you get a Rabbitohs cap. Sticker yeah. and a key ring, so you, those caps are really good. And you're entitled to a lot of offers during the season. They have um, fantastic discounts at the shop. You can pop down there and, uh, and they'll knock a little bit more off you when, oh, when they go and see you. So. Yep. And now also you might have noticed we've, we've been posting some videos on our social of old games. We recently put one up of the late Adam O'Neill and also Jason Moon. And Brownie hosted a watch party on Facebook. Yeah, how good's that? Yeah, technology. I mean, there's a lot, you know, a lot of negative talk about Facebook and Instagram. So, but there's also a lot of positive about it. You know, that watch party you can get involved, uh, watch the game. I, we had uh, a game on there from 1998, uh, I think it was, Mavo and Phil Blake joined. Wayne Chisholm, they all played, and I mean, Phil Blake was in the UK and he was against Balmain and. Yeah, you know, 89, I think it was, yeah. I, I was 89, yeah, yeah. sorry, my, yeah. my mistake, 89. And, um, yeah, great initiative. That's great. So if you're, Facebook and if you're one of the 2,000 followers we have on our Facebook, you can jump on there and we can have a big chat about the game as, it, as it's played. Yeah, just uh, speaking of social media, I've got to please explain here for chaps, uh, our host. Right uh, John Sutton, there was some John Sutton highlights there on social media the other day, some great highlights over his career. And uh, you commented, if it wasn't for Bozo Fulton, Big Sutto would have played Origin. Please explain. Oh, right. Okay. Well, if you want to go back that far, I can't remember. You're exactly a good mate what, with Sutto. I can't remember exactly what year that was, but basically they picked a side, and Kurt Gidley was the f- number 14 back then. He was a star. He's been injured um, halfway through the camp. Now, Bob Fulton, who was a chairman of selectors then, he was up in the bush, out of mobile phone range and that. So they had to get together and um, pick a pick a guy without him because they couldn't get in contact with him. He's out shooting and whatnot. And so they chose John Sutton. Anyway, he's come back that early that night and got wind of it before they. Because if you notice, if you remember on Instagram, I've still got the photo. South announced him as being selected. Yes, I remember that. I've still got the photo. Yeah. Anyway, he rang up and said, "You're kidding over my dead boy. Get Josh Reynolds down there. Have a train off at Coogee, right? And then announce Josh Reynolds as the winner. Anyway, they had the train off. Sutton never missed a beat. He went fantastic. Reynolds dropped balls, was was awful, was in, in wrong position. Who gets the job? Josh Reynolds. Grubby. It's not what you know, it's who you know, see? That's it. Uh, there's agendas in rugby league, boys. Well, thanks for that explanation. And anyone that wanted to know what that was about, yeah, you've heard it here on Rabbitohs Radio. Yeah. And now the big Rabbitohs news is that we've got a fantastic interview with Rabbitohs assistant coach Jason Demetriou. And here it is. Okay, Rabbitohs Radio listeners, got a great treat for you today. Uh, assistant coach of the mighty South Sydney Rabbitohs, Jason Demetrio. How are you, mate? Yeah, good boys. How you going? Not too bad. How are you holding up in these COVID times, mate? I see, see you've got a young family there, misses and a couple of yeah. young kids. Actually, it hasn't been too bad from the family perspective. I spent last year away from the family. I was still up in Brisbane, so it's been good to spend some quality time with them, but 
oh, I think they're ready for me to go back to work. I'm getting a bit bored now with no footy. <laughs> I've seen you knocking out a few TikToks there last night, mate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I, mean, I was thinking about a career change. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people are getting in those TikToks. They didn't think they would have been made. Uh, so where are you from and what was it like growing up there, mate? Yeah, I, I grew up in the St. George area, um, in Hurstville, Kingsgrove Way. Went to Kingsgrove High School. Played junior footy for Hurstville United, the mighty Struggos. Yeah, so, you know, I had a good childhood. I also grew up in Campbelltown, the early part of my childhood. So I played out at a club called Claymore Panthers. Until um, I was about nine or ten, and then and then moved to the St George area. So been around Sydney a fair bit, but um, yeah, no, enjoyed it. Good childhood, no, no major dramas I can think of. Yeah, Jace uh, Brownie, mate, how you going? Yeah, good, Brownie. That's the way, mate. Mate, um, you played uh, rep footy were with the Dragons. How did you end up in the UK? Um, yeah, I suppose I, you know, I played some good footy when I was a young kid. I got that. 13, 14, or actually 15, 16 year old, I probably didn't mature at the same rate as other kids did and got, got left behind a little bit after uh, Harold Matts and then sort of had, had another bloom and I was at 17, 18. But just with all the ARL and Super League war going on, it was hard hard to get a crack. So I ended up playing it um, in the, in the, what was called the Metro Cup back in them days for, for Newtown and um, a team called the Bondi Roosters who were aligned with the Roosters and was through that I met a guy called Grant Jones who, who used to work at the Rabbitohs. Yep. Um, and he said to me, you know, it's good time for you maybe to go overseas and, and play a trade over there. But I was a printer by trade, so I had another year left to do on my apprenticeship. And I didn't want to go without finishing my trade because I knew that might come in handy if I did decide to go. And uh, my wife's family come over from England. They're, her parents are a scousers from Liverpool. So, oh, right. Um, yeah a lot of family over there. So they said, look, come and stay with us. And that was probably the final little tick that I needed to go, right, I'm going to do this. And um, sent some videos overseas and got some interest, but I uh, ended up, yeah, quitting my job, packed my bags and, and off I went. You know, it's uh, yeah, crazy journey to look back on now. But, um, you know, I remember sitting in the airport in Singapore thinking, oh my God, what have I done uh, on the way over? <laughs> yeah, I quit my, yeah. quit my job. I didn't have a lot of money. I hadn't signed anywhere yet. Uh, pretty daunting time, but you look back now and you think, well, I, I wouldn't be sitting here now if I didn't, I suppose, have the courage to, to make that decision. Yeah, mate, uh, making the decision, having that, uh, the in-laws over there would have made it uh, a little bit easier, the, the in-laws' families. Yeah, definitely, yeah. They, I mean, for the first three months, I was on my own. My, my wife, um, who was my girlfriend at the time, was bridesmaid at her best friend's wedding in Australia, so she stayed behind for three months while I went over and if it wasn't for them putting me up, I reckon I would have, I would have packed up and, and come back. It was at, at one point I was delivering yellow pages, trying to get some money. Mm. Yeah, I picked my wife up from the airport and I had 33 pence to my name. I had enough to buy a paper, the Daily Star, classic cra- <laughs> paper. Wow. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, no, it was, you know, it was, my wife got there and within, she got there on a Friday. With By Monday, she'd signed with a teaching agency and was working. And yeah, we both was back at, you know, there was so many times where we could have just said, right, pack up and go, but we stuck it out. And I suppose looking at the, the time we're in at the moment, it's probably prepared us to handle this pretty easily compared to the things we were doing then and the lack of money and resources now to tighten up and work our way up from there. Are you a Liverpool fan, mate? I am, yes. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to call the season off. I uh, can't have that. Yeah. yeah, they had it one. Yeah, yeah. Oh. 
Yeah, Jase, it's Mavo here. How are you going, mate? Good, Mavo. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Now, yeah, this story of you going to England, it's a real success story. You started off, I think, with Lancashire Lynx. Yeah. And then you moved on to Widnes and then Wakefield. Can you tell us about how that panned out? You started a, a, a sort of a lowly team and moved your way up? Yeah, well, as I said before, I sent some uh, videos and footage back then. You know, we were still using videos and sent some footage over to a few clubs and it was Les Kiss was coaching London Broncos just before I left and he was really keen to sign me to go over there and uh, him and his wife, it was all but a done deal. Him and his wife um, went on holidays for a week and when he came back we were agreed, we were going to agree terms and sign and get it done but while he was away, his wife had spoken to him about wanting to go back to Australia and he got decided to, to quit and, and head back home so it sort of ended right there. I was pretty much due to leave within a week so uh, he offered me a reserve grade contract at Norse at the time. I said, mate, I'm I'm pretty much going. So, mm. yeah, got over there. And then uh, Lancashire Lynx, I, I didn't even realise that in the championship, which is the division below Super League, these are started into December. Um, so I, I got there on the 1st of December and had like two and a half weeks of training and then the first game started. So Straight into it. Straight into it, yeah. I, uh, I up, the only club that had an overseas spot available was a club called Lancashire Lynx. So I was coached by ex, um, Great Britain fullback Hampson. Steve, um, Steve Hampson? Steve, yeah, Steve Hampo. Ring a ding ding, Hampo's a king, he said. Yeah, so, <laughs> uh, yeah got, got a start with them. Um, I loved it, actually. We, we were playing at Preston North End. Um, we had barely could scrape a team together. Hampo did a great job getting blokes to come. They were in financial problems, but. Uh, the main thing was getting my foot in the door, which which is what happened. But I had ten games there, and then um, Steve Lanaim was coaching Rochdale, and an overseas spot opened up there, and there was opportunity to move um, after ten games and finish the year there with with Rochdale Hornets again. Um, my wife had just come over that time, and uh, Rochdale had moved me up there, give us a house and a car, so things were a hell of a lot better than they were before that. But and the big thing for me was getting a start at one of those big clubs in championship because I didn't have that NRL background. I was going to have to get go through the probably the promotion route to try to get into a Super League. So mm. before the end of that season, David Hume is an ex-Great Britain halfback. Um, yeah, I play, I play with uh, Hume, yeah, at Salford. Yeah, champion bloke. Yeah, legend. Um, tough as nails. Tough well. as nails, yeah. Oh, for a halfback. Oh, man, he, he's actually played his last game. He made a comeback. He was coaching us and he came back. Um, Did he? Because the pressure was on him, and he said, "Right, I'll solve it and come back and play." And had that one game with him, and I, I thought he was, I knew he was tough, but gee whiz, you know. And he ended up getting the sack after this game, which was sad because I had a lot of respect for him. He, I wouldn't have got the opportunity in Super League if it wasn't for him. And he's he's a witness. He's a witness boy, isn't he? Yeah, born and bred witness. Yeah, yeah. so it was his hometown club. It was a, a job that um, was dear to his heart and Paul Hume was his assistant as well so um, I, I suppose for me it was good to get an understanding of the passion those hometown players have for their, their local clubs as well but it was, it was sad to see him go but we ended up getting promoted that year Neil Kelly come in and and the rest is history that's how I, I signed my first Super League contract and um, played two years in Super League witness and then um, got the opportunity to go to Wakefield where things probably took off from there yeah spent seven years at Wakefield a lot of great times a uh, club that uh, struggled and probably suited my journey in terms of the underdog and fighting to get to keep your 
status, I suppose. They were always spending under mm. the cap, which you'd know a bit about. Brownie as well, playing at Salford and those yeah. kind of clubs. You know, the, if you can keep your top 17 on the on the field, you've, you've got a good chance against anyone. But yeah. the depth of talent probably dips away when you lose a few of your key players. And, you know, when you've got clubs that are spending 30 40% less cap than the big clubs, it, it does make it hard. But um, I suppose that builds character in those clubs as well. Yeah, them, them big four over there back then dominated the uh, Super League. You know, the Bradfords, uh, Wigan, St Helens and Leeds. They, yeah. were, they were the top sides, and like you said, mate, you uh, it was always a battle when you, when you come up against them. And uh, if you had your best players on the field, I think we beat Wigan once at at Salford. Uh, Matty Johns was playing, and Frank Endicott uh, actually got the sack the next day because we beat we actually beat Wigan. And, <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it's uh, good times over there. Yeah, no, it's just that's just you know again like you think. I remember we played uh, Wigan when I was at Witness and we beat them. And I think it was Stuart Raper ended up getting the sack. Yeah, because they, they just couldn't they couldn't handle losing the sides that uh, were outside of that big four. Mm. Yeah, right. Well, we, we work with uh, Aaron Raper. Shout out to you, Rapes, and all the Raper family. The uh, yeah. great Johnny Raper, the legend of the game. Moving on to Wakefield, you were the first Aussie without NRL experience to captain the club, first ever. So that must have been a great honour for you. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know it at the time, but um, yeah, I suppose it, towards the back end of my career, someone told me that was Brian Carney. I did a talk show with him, and he he mentioned it. Yeah, I wasn't aware. I never even thought about it to be honest. But yeah, it, I suppose when you finish your career, you look back at things you've achieved. And look, I went over. I remember going over there thinking, look, I'll go over and have a crack for a couple of years. But to spend thirteen years there and uh, come back. Uh, I suppose with the career that I had and off the back of that create opportunities for me to get into this position I'm in now in Australia it's just yeah it's, it's a crazy journey and um, I suppose I've got a lot to be thankful for to the English game um, you know I do consider myself a, a product of the English game in terms of my professional career and how that's developed um, you know I always encourage a lot of players who especially guys that are maybe a bit on the fringe and battling reserve grade maybe to go over and get away from home and spend a bit of time over there and appreciate what the game can give you. You know, there's players that have done that and come back and, and been better for it. And, um, yeah, it's, as you guys know, the, the atmosphere and the, the passion for rugby league with those clubs over there is, is enormous. And not till you get there and you live it day to day, you, you realise how great our game is. Yeah, mate. Uh, another good mate of ours uh, and a supporter of the show, Troy, Troy Slattery, another right. ex-Wakefield player. Yeah. Um, mate, he indicated to us that uh, you've been rated over there as one of the best imports ever alongside Wally Lewis, Darren Fritz and the Zip Zip man who all played for Wakefield themselves. How, how, do, you, how do you feel about that, mate? Yeah, it was, um, it was probably an accolade that was given to me when I finished playing by uh, John Key, who was coaching us at the time. And the chairman said, you know, they rated me as one of their best imports. I don't know if that was because of the value for money they got out of me or... <laughs> but, um, I suppose any club you go to, you wanna you wanna leave, and I suppose you remembered for the efforts that you put on on the foot on the field, and and the way you respected the club off the field. It's always been something that's important to me. At any club that I work at, you know, you want to feel that when you've left the place, you've contributed in some way and and made the place better while you were there. So, um, and I suppose that the the battles that you have at clubs like that. Um, 
they make you want to feel like you've contributed to the club's success and, and the fact that they're still around. And one of the things Wakefield did, and they're one of the few clubs that did it over the last 20 years, that when they got promoted, they've managed to stay there. Mm. Um, you know, and many times over the last 20 years, people thought they were gone. And uh, I remember in 2004, my first year, everyone said we'd get relegated. We were no chance. The team was rubbish. We ended up um, two games short of a grand final mm, and yeah. got beat by Wigan. So, you know, we had, again, if we can get your best players on the field, you know, but we created a culture that didn't matter what anybody was saying. We, we knew we had some footy players in that team and, you know, we were going to rip in for each other and no one worried about who was earning what. And so, so I suppose because you didn't have that money, you didn't have those problems either. But, um, look, it's, it's great to be remembered that way and I suppose it's something I'll look back on uh, in a few years and, Think about how, how what an impact you made. Yeah, well, first of all, being mentioned in the same breath of the Emperor of Lang Park, Wally Lewis, and the Zip Zip Man, Steve Ella. Well, that just... just <laughs> that says it all. How good is that? But you mentioned John Keir, and there is a famous game, and we've dug up the try for our socials, and we've played the audio on the show. You scored a famous yeah. try in the one million pound game. Now, you've only won six games all year. You've eight to one on to be relegated. And then Tony Smith, yeah. who you mentioned before, got, got the sack. John Keir came in and turned it around and he scored a, a famous meaty. What have you what can you tell us about that? Yeah, it was a it was a crazy year actually. We we started the year we we, we made the final two and saw under two thousand four, sorry, under um Shane McNally and halfway through two thousand five he got the sack. So Tony Smith came in and um, it's the English Tony Smith, not the um, Australian one. So oh, it's the ex, yeah. ex-Wigan halfback. Yeah, uh, right. Hold, I didn't know well that. And, not Brian's brother, no? Yeah. No, no, no. It's uh, the English version. And Castle was a great bloke, um, a great assistant who probably should have stayed as an assistant because I'll tell you what he did do well, Castle, and he, he won't mind me saying this, is that he, he got his handicap down to three in golf when he was head coaching. <laughs> he, uh, he, he spent a lot of time on the golf. He's got Mavo, yeah. He's got Mavo covered there. <laughs> yeah. Mavo's golf blog. Um, he, uh, yeah, so he, he got the sack with six games to go. Um, and we'd only won six games all year. And everyone had written us off. We were five points below Castleford at the time, who uh, we needed to catch uh, to not get relegated. And John Keir took over, and we set ourselves a target of four from, from six. It was kind of a, a weird year because. I was captain the previous year and then I wouldn't say got dropped, but Monty Beaton came to the club who was outstanding for myself in terms of that leadership space, great mentor and leader. And he, he sort of took on the on-field captain, the off-field captain. But I suppose the back end of that year, we, you know, we had six games to go. We had to survive. And I remember a meeting with the players and everyone was sitting there talking about their futures and pretty much laid it out to them that about your futures. You know, you've got a manager, that's what it's for, but we're not getting relegated on our, on my watch or on our watch. And we had a responsibility to try to do everything we could to stay up. And, you know, we, we had six games to do it. The fortunate thing was we played Castleford twice in that last six games. So right. it, as it turned up, out, yeah. it ended up going right down to the wire. Yeah, so we ended up a point behind him last game of the year. And a guy called Brad Davis, who was a halfback at Castleford yep. the, the week before. He was um, an Aussie too, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, had a good career over there, but yeah, he, did. he made a mistake before the last two games saying that they, they'd, they'd won their, that, that game that weekend and we'd lost to St. Helens away in a, in a great game. But he said, oh, well, now we just need to go and relegate Wakefield. And mm. uh, oh, I think oh. he just he, he just uh, he just filled us with ammunition and we had to go to Bradford. 
Bradford and beat Bradford away. Who, mm. um, but yeah, we did that, and then we we come home to Wakefield, and it was a weird game. I, you walk into a stadium; the only time I played at Wakefield in kind of a, a sellout crowd. Uh, you got to the game as, as you normally do, and it was it was eerily quiet, even in the stands. And for an English atmosphere, it's quite bizarre because there was so much on the line for both clubs. Uh, I remember saying to Monty Beast, mate, we need to get some music playing in here because, you know, yeah. I feel like I'm, I'm in a funeral. We need, we need to get some atmosphere. And, and we started the game like that. We were 11 nil down after 10 minutes. But we fought our way back and, oh, yeah, that try ended up um, coming off a bit of scrappy footy and ended up picking the ball up. It was weird. A few, a few soccer skills there first. Yeah. <laughs> Toe ahead and Paul March just flicked it up, so... I was actually playing through the back end of the year. I played majority of my career in the centres and um, I was starting on the wing and then moving in a, in a lot. Bizarre how it was happening. But, um, yeah, so I was, and, but because Carl, funny, our, our fullback got knocked out in the first 10 minutes, that changed that rotation. So I ended up staying on the wing the whole game and ended up being in there to pick that up. But it just, I remember scoring the try and just thinking that, that just the emotion that come out of you, um, you, can, you can see it as I stand up. It's just, yep, you, you know, we're... We're just not – going down just wasn't an option for us. I mean, I still had another two years on the contract. Um, my wife was um, – who no one knew was um, in the early stages of pregnancy with our second daughter. And, you know, here you are not only playing to, to keep the club up, but you're playing for your livelihoods, for your family livelihoods. And remember Monty Beetham, who played a lot of internationals and a lot of NRL, said, I've never never felt anything like that. It was the most bizarre pre-game feeling and – pressure that he's ever felt and I suppose that's that's something that relegation and promotion battle can give you mm. yeah well if you haven't seen it go and have a look on our episode webpage you beat five blokes it was a great try <laughs> and then yes you could just tell the emotion on your face after you'd scored that it, t- it says it all yeah and that put us in front for the first time I knew once we got our noses in front we weren't going to get beat at home we just we, we'd, we'd set ourselves a target for that last six weeks and to get into that position right on half time, we knew in that second forty, we end up blowing them away really in the second forty and, and won the game and say comfortably, but you know, we without any pressure on us and yeah, and the rest is history. I mean, the club, had, I think Wakefield would have would have gone close to dying. I think mm. they'd, they'd have fizzled out if, if they'd have got relegated at that point. Um, Ted Richardson, the owner, was in a bit of financial difficulty. We ended up going administration within about eighteen months after that, and so it was a. You know, people call it a million pound game because that's what's worth the club. Mm. Um, but I think if they'd have gone down, it, it you know those players that are there now, they've got a lot to owe for that group of men that that managed to to keep the club up. And and huge thank you to John Keir and the way he turned around the mindset of the players. Mm. And you and you were part of it, mate. Well it done. A, and a pivotal yeah, moment. No, it was a pivotal moment in the history, not just the million pounds. And it sounds like that's yeah, the most 100%. important probably try you scored in your career by the sounds of it. Um, as you're talking about that there now, you. You were a bit of a try-scoring machine over there, mate. I don't know if the Australian <laughs> listeners know that, and the Rabbitohs fans out there know that. Scored 17 tries for Witness and 51 for Wakefield. Now, Jimmy the Jet's got a, a nickname there. What was your nickname, JD over there? JD the Jet? Or? Uh, J- J- Jimmy scores his tries with pace. So if you go back to me 70-odd tries, I think majority of them were inside the 10. Um, <laughs> Not a bad left-foot step, but... Yeah, big left-foot step. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, no, I think that was one of the strengths in the game, I suppose, is, you know, I like to run the footy, and I remember uh, I played with a bloke called Steve Carter, Penrith. Um, yeah, Scarter, yeah, I played oh, with Scarter. Yeah. Great player. Champion, champion bloke. Yeah. 
I remember him, I remember him saying to me after the, he, he left after my first year in Super League, he, he fell down a flight of stairs at, at, at training one Christmas and busted his ankle again, and you know, that was the end of him. But we, we went for a drink, and your boys know Scarf, he, yeah. he, he loves a vodka or two, and yeah. he pulled me aside and said, mate, I'm going to tell you something now. And I said, what's that? And I thought, oh, here we go. Yeah. Scarf is pretty direct. He said, mate, you're as good as anyone I've seen with the footy. But fuck you, you need to learn how to tackle. Oh, sorry, <laughs> nah, that's all right. <laughs> and, yeah. I said, he goes, mate, you learn how to tackle. You're going to have a career in this game. And I was like, yeah. all right, Scott. And then, it, but, you know, it's good because that's, that's what you look up to in them kind of guys. He's someone I'd watch playing grand finals and, and rep footy and had a massive opinion of him in terms of his passion for footy. He just loved playing footy. And, he was a lot of cattle dog, um, wasn't he? Oh, no, he was, and he was, Tough as nails as well. Yep, I played against him. Yes, and, he was. And it was, it was, it was a, a big thing in my career because from that point on, I, I did a lot of extra work and focused on becoming a better defender. And um, yeah, it made a big difference. Yeah, I bet it did, mate. Words from a champion player like that, mate. Now, um, you obviously must have turned a few heads over there with all those tries and all the games you played, mate. Did you have many offers to come back into the NRL? And, and who was it with? Um, I sort of. I sort of did and I didn't. I, I never really looked into it too much. It was one year at the end of 2007 when I um, I was picked in the dream team and shortlisted for Man of Steel that um, the manager was uh, had spoken to Tim Sheens at the Tigers and there was interest in me going there and, and signing for two years. But I was 30-year-old at that time and for me to pack up and, and to go home and, and try to make a name for myself again in the NRL, I, I sort of felt like that boded had sailed a little bit and look I look back now and I think I would have loved to prove myself in the NRL but at the same time if I think if I'd have done that I wouldn't have got the opportunities in coaching and my you know my name and what I'd earned over there was going to create opportunities for me for to get into coaching and that's probably why I didn't go back I, I wanted my wife had spoken to me about you know what I want to do when I'm finished playing and you know you, you're not someone who's going to enjoy being away from the game so you need to think about what kind of role or profession you want in, in footy and coaching was something I wanted to do so I knew if I went home I would have lost that those name and opportunity that opportunities create um, so I decided no I'll, I'll stay over there and at the time again I was you know to go back and, and start again on minimum wage and try to work your way up at 30 year old was probably not the thing that was most important to me but Look, you know, at times I think I should have, I should have, and I could have, but at the same time, I think, you know what, I'm, I'm here based on where my journey took me, and I've got, I've got no regrets. So we'll move on to your coaching career. I think you might have took over as captain coach at Keeley over there, and then on returning to Australia, you coached the Northern Pride to, <clears throat> excuse me, back-to-back premierships, and won the inaugural NRL state championship. Can you tell us about that time, how it all developed? And one thing is that. A good player doesn't always make a good coach. I, I suppose I've always seen myself as a bit of a coach and I, I look back now and think that maybe my playing journey was a pathway into what I'm supposed I suppose I, I see myself probably a better coach than I was a player. But it just to get the opportunity at Keithley was, was massive being able to get I, I didn't want to play, my knee was busted. You know, I, I look back in the last year of Super League and I was absolutely running on empty but it was a great opportunity to start at a club that had nothing. You know, they'd been in administration. I remember going in and for the job interview at Keithley and them saying to me, mate, 
I actually drove into the car park and all the lights were off in the in the building where the interview was and they hadn't paid their bills so the gas oh. and electric had been cut off and as wow. you guys know in the middle of winter it's freezing. <laughs> mm. and we were sat in front of a candle doing an interview for the job and they said the job's yours there's no money you can't get any players but you want it yeah uh-huh. I, said, yeah. I read somewhere oh, mate right. where you had to mow the lawns and and mark the fields as well the forest camp of the yeah, yeah, yeah. the forest camp yeah, well, we got we got rid of yeah, we got rid of the grounds, man. We got rid of anybody who I, I thought I could do the I could do the job and, and get work done that allowed me to put that money towards um players, even if it's getting players on loan or just getting a bit extra match money. So everything that we could save that we, that we did so that we could put invest it back in the into the playing group. I think that's probably a lesson that stayed with me throughout my coaching career, it's that value of every dollar that you spend and I think sometimes clubs will go, It's all right, it's only sixty grand or it's only fifty grand but I'm sort of the opinion if you're spending it, you want to get some return on it as well. So uh, I think that'll probably hold me in good stead for the future. But yeah, it was created opportunity to go to Northern Pride. It was um, to get a job coaching full time in the Queensland Cup was was a huge opportunity for me. And I remember the job interview. Chris Shepherd, ex halfback at the Cowboys and Dragons, and he was a CEO at the time. And I wasn't good at sitting in front of corporates and telling them what, what they wanted to hear in that sort of interview space. I hadn't had a lot of experience in that in that area, but the interview wasn't like that. It was actual uh, coaching, you know. He sent down uh, sent me a video one half of their previous game and and then half of the team they were playing the next week and you had to review their game and then preview the next one and then plan a week's training. You had three players that you had to um, critique and preview through the week. So it sort of fit right in with how I could um, I suppose demonstrate what I would do as a coach and you know Shepard's stayed a close mentor and was the manager for a few years that led to this opportunity so you know to go to Northern Pride and I don't know if he's been up there up, up that way in Cairns before but they love their footy up there oh yeah they just they just uh, live and breathe it football and, mad up there yeah. yeah and Brock Shaper who's at the, at the Rabbitohs at the moment ended up being the CEO as well after oh, Shep yeah. left after the first year so um, Joe Callahan, who's a, who's a rabbit now, is, who was my assistant, who's coaching the under twenties and, and doing the education role at the Rabbitohs, is, is, was also there. So there's a bit of Northern pride back in in the Rabbitohs at the moment, mm. um, which is good to have that familiarity. But yeah, that, I suppose for them, they hadn't made finals the previous year, and there's a, there's a bit of I suppose rebuild to go on. But um, yeah, we, we won back to back minor premierships, but the first year we went straight out. Actually, we didn't we didn't win the comp. We, we Won the minor premiership by six points or something like that and dominated every step you can think of, but not the one that mattered. And that was listing the trophy at the end of the year. But um, did a good review and identified a couple of things that we needed to change. And yeah, we, we got the job done for the next year and pretty convincingly against a, a pretty stacked East Tigers team. And you, you look back at the team they had and Cody Walker, Tim Glasby, Felice Kafusi, Heimel Hunt, wow. Richie Kenner, Cameron Munster. <laughs> oh, not a bad side, side yeah. You got an early look at Cody yeah. then, eh? You, you you were aware that he yeah. was a good player because I got told that quite a while ago that he's a he's a great player and it's it's yeah, turned out to be uh, correct. Oh, he was a super talent. I think he was the best player in the competition at the time, and uh, he's done a lot of work, I suppose, on his um, control and his his passion and his his competitiveness, and that allowed to kick on and, and be a well, he's, he'd be one of the top. Four, five, five, eights in the in the competition at the moment, and he, he's been outstanding during this period at, at the Rabbitohs as well. The, the, the leadership qualities that he's shown have, have been second to none, and really impressed with him. 
there's no doubt you've had success uh, with all your coaching roles and, and it was no different at your first attempt at the uh, NRL duties with the uh, being assistant coach at the Cowboys. Tell us about your experience there and also being part of the club's first ever grand final victory. Oh, yeah, it was someone posted something on Twitter about that the other day. I think, yeah, it does, it's crazy to think it's, it's almost five years ago. Well, it is five years ago, but um, yeah, I got the opportunity to go there. Northern Pride was a feeder club to, to the Cowboys, and after we, we'd won the premiership, Rooney was keen for me to go up there. And yeah, it was, it was a year that it started slowly. We lost our first three, and I suppose a bit of pressure of expectation was, was on us. And I remember beating Melbourne in round four in a golden point. Um, well, JT kicked a field goal to take it to golden point and then kicked the field goal to win it. And that was the first win for the season, the first four rounds. And then we went on and won 11 straight and dropped a couple here and there, but finished strong at the back end of the year as well. But the final series was unbelievable. Mm. I mean, the, the, the support from the Townsville community and the whole of North Queensland was phenomenal. I remember going to the, coming home from the prelim final and the airport was packed and people were so excited because we, um, we'd went and, went down to Melbourne and beat Melbourne in Melbourne in the prelim and the week leading to the grand final was crazy it's just you know you, you realise what rugby league means to so many people in, in, the, in the communities all over Australia but up there it was I don't know just had that feeling that this was this was the time that the club was going to get their first premiership and there must have been four or five thousand people lined the streets and at the airport on the way to, to leave to Sydney for the grand final and they, tra- they travel far and wide don't they to go there Oh, they do. Well, Travel a long way. The, the flights were sold out within hours. So a lot of the players, a lot of their friends had, had um, hired vans and loaded up. And it was like a week's trip. They'd, they'd travel down to Sydney for the game, plus the game, and then travel their way back up. So it was, it was unbelievable the amount of people that, that got there. And for the grand final to be the spectacle that it was. was mm. Oh, what a game that was. Oh, it was crazy. I remember sitting in the box. Even now, still feels surreal. You're just thinking, man, We, I just felt like, it was coming. We were going to get him, and it was probably a few minutes before that. Uh, Michael Morgan took on um, Anthony Milford, and he, he got tackled. But you could see that the, the center had turned out, and there was opportunities for him to take him on, and he did. But he had the ball in his left hand, and the next time he got an opportunity, a couple of minutes later, he, he swapped the ball over, and it allowed him to, to create that one that uh, right hand offload to Cole Felt that. Yep scored the try, but I mean, that feeling then at that point, I mean, unbelievable. I had Cole Felt for two years leading into that. Uh, he played in the grand final win side at Northern Pride, and to see him come on and, and score a try in the grand final that took it to Golden Point was unbelievable. I mean, he, he spent the majority of the year in, in reserve grade and, and came in a first grade with about four or five games to go and oh. uh, ended up being a, a hero in the side. And the kickoff after that that Ben Hunt dropped. I remember him kicking it and thinking, oh, my God, mm. in front of 80,000 people, extra time, I would hate to be catching that. <laughs> yeah. Mate, you, oh. you, you would have had a good view from the uh, goal kick that JT kicked from the sideline being in the coach's box. Did you think it was going over? I, I thought it was going over. Oh, we were celebrating. I was, uh, it was over. As soon as he hit it, the way he curls the ball around. Yep. Yeah. Uh, oh. I, I was worried that he took too long. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought he's taking too long here. He's, he's going to overthink it. But to be fair, he hit it beautifully. It just didn't quite come around as much as it normally does. And, you know, if it had just shaded the upright a little bit more, it had gone through. But, look, I, I didn't think we'd get beat at that point. I thought either whether we kicked it or not, we were going to win that game because I looked across at Brisbane. I, I 
I felt Brisbane played quite negative with 30 minutes to go in that game and we're just hanging on. Mm. I think it's really, it's really difficult to change your mindset from that to now try to go and win the game. Yeah. And I was looking around at their body language and I thought, you know, we're, we're, we're on the front foot here. and um, Definitely. Yeah, you know, we, we, we just... And then when they dropped the ball off the kickoff, it was oh. just a matter yeah. of getting the Poor ball in the right hunt. Yeah. Hand. yeah. And that field goal, he liked, it, it wasn't his best work, but JT being the champion he is... Well, he deserved that. It wasn't yeah. his wasn't his best game all around. I think Michael Morgan was probably the star of the day. But um, mm. for him to come up with that match winning play, the, the the impact he's had on the competition must have been pretty special to be a part of that, mate. Yeah, it is. I mean, you get to work with people like JT, and the the, the thing that makes JT the the man and the the player he was is just ability to, to to work hard. He he's as hard a trainer as you'll see. He's as fit as anyone you'll see. But he just competes on everything. I remember doing a, some hand-eye coordination drills and no one had done them before. They were a bit from netball. We were doing them in our gym and in between our gym sessions and he, he didn't get it at first and a couple of boys had, had got numbers higher than him. He was like, do it again. And I said, mate, you got to go back. He said, no, nah, I'm not leaving here until I've, I've done it properly. <laughs> Good and, idea. He just, right. and he nailed it. He nailed yeah. it again. But Perfection. It was just a cl- class. Everyone's looking around going, and he's adamant. Like, I wasn't going to argue with him. He'd get it done again. I was like, all right, let's do it again. <laughs> A phenomenal human, you know. He just what he how he treats people away from the field. I mean, you look at people now that players now that give their headgears over or pick up the kick and tees and all the little things that players are doing off the back of of what JT did, and that's probably the legacy that he leaves behind is that appreciation for what the game gave him and how much it, he gives back to it. And I can say to players all the time, the game will keep giving to you as long as you keep investing in it, um, and it does, and it does whether you finish playing or not. Mm, you must have been pinching yourself, mate, working with uh, with all that all them quality players and staff as well. Oh yeah, I mean, with our staff was um, John Cartwright, obviously Paul Green, Dave Ferner, mm. um, Paul Bowman was up there, and in, in there with strength and conditioning, Andrew Kroll, for me, one of the best in the game is at Brisbane now. But um, yeah, we had great staff, and and. The thing is up there when a lot of us had come, the staff who'd moved in there, Todd Payton was, was coaching in the 20s and we all lived within a couple of hundred metres of each other. So it does it did create sort of a family feel amongst the staff and uh, as a coach going into my first opportunity in the next 18 months is something that, you know, I remember that the difference that made to the day-to-day grind, having that um, closeness within your staff as well. So it's definitely something that, you know, I think is important uh, at the NRL level. And that bit of success there at the Cowboys opened up a few opportunities for you. Obviously, you went down there to the Dragons, worked with Mary and, and, and coached the Cutters there and and were obviously seen there by Wayne Bennett. He's seen something in you, mate, dragging up the Broncos for a couple of years and, and, and you followed him down to the Mighty Rabbitohs, mate. Tell, tell us a bit about that, how that transpired. Yeah, so I got the opportunity to go to the Dragons and coach the Cutters. I, I felt like I still had more to, more to learn and more to give as a head coach, so... I took the opportunity to go down the Dragons and, and, and have another year coaching my own team, which turned out to be the best thing that I did because we had such a, a great year. And I think coaching in that grand final in New South Wales Cup was probably the best. I think that was probably the best semi-professional game I'd been involved with. And you know, I'd seen from two very good footy sides that I think we beat them, might have been 25-24 in the end or 23-22, the, the drop goal in it. And two weeks later, I got a phone call from, from Wayne Bennett which at the time I was like, what? This can't be real. <laughs> um, and the yeah, jo- the journey gets better. Oh, I know, yeah. And he said, the, the first thing I thought was, oh, no, am I going to convince my wife to move again? 
Um, <laughs> we've been out, we've been out of Sydney for 15, 16 years. Yeah. I got to say we're going to Brisbane, <laughs> but nah, she has. As my girls have very supportive of, of what I've been trying to do in, in my career, and um, you know the opportunity to work with Wayne and such a prestigious coach and the guy who's done everything in the game was just too good to turn down. And uh, yeah, we went and uh, loved my time at Brisbane, and then as we all know, things change and. You know, Wayne got the opportunity to come down here. I remember when I first signed at Brisbane and I was at training, just got just got to Brisbane, went to training and uh, Wayne walked straight. I didn't have any gear yet. Went down to watch their first testing and he walked straight past. He had no idea. I'd only spoke to him on the phone. I'd never <laughs> met him. He walked straight past me and he walked past again. He's looking at me. He's like, who is this? Like, is this, are you Jason? <laughs> yeah, mate, that's me. Yeah. Oh, he it knows was, now. It was quite funny. Yeah, well, one of me, one of the guys I knew worked with him at Newcastle said, "Whatever you do, don't shake his hand." I said, "Oh, shut up, you're cheering up." He goes, "I'm telling you, I hate shaking hands." He loved so he loved COVID nineteen then. <laughs> oh, he loved it. Yeah, he said he said he's ahead of his he's ahead of ahead of the time. Come to that. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so I wouldn't shake his hand, and he put his hand out, and I thought, "Oh, do I? I suppose I shake it, do I?" And it was the, the limpest handshake I've ever had in my life. So I said, "Yeah, I won't be doing that again." Um, but yeah, no, he, he took me aside on his first week that I was there and said, I want you to think and act as a head coach. I want you to go and that's my job is to help you become one. And I remember thinking at the time where you know, it was so left field of anything I was expecting him to say, but it just put me at ease and allowed us to develop the relationship we've got today, which is, I suppose, built on a lot of mutual respect. And it's just, it's great to have someone back in you who's done what he's done in the game. Yeah, it was a, it was a stra- strange old year for you, 2017, wasn't it, Jason? Like, I mean, it, in the end, I guess you, South and the Brisbane swapped roles, coaching-wise, with Seabold yeah, um, heading yeah. out and you guys heading down. Talk us through that, how that all transpired. It was a strange <laughs> old year. It was a bizarre one because it started with... You know, Wayne had another year in his contract, as we all did, but it, it started with, I suppose, the Bellamy rumours um, for us up there. And then I, I thought something was a bit amiss at, at the back end of that that year when Kevy joined us, joined the coaching staff and then left not long after the season started. So there's a bit there's a bit going on prior to the I suppose Seabold and, and Wayne uh, exchanges and then it just grew from there, I suppose. It, it was there was too many whispers and things going around that made you think, well something's going on around here and um, you know, we we were just focused on trying to play the best footy we could. I knew the, the playing group were behind Wayne. They, they didn't really want him to go. But at the same time, as you say, there's, there's whispers. So there must be things going on behind the scenes, which we weren't privy to. All I know is Wayne was adamant that he, he, he wasn't going and he wanted to stay and, and look after his staff. And that was before he, he got the offer, obviously, to go to South. And then the season ended and we got towed up in our last game, which wasn't the way we wanted the season to finish against the Dragons. But... Uh, we limped into that finals game busted and I suppose that was the ammunition that led to the, the change being made when it did. Wayne was away with England and there was a lot going on. None of the staff knew what was going on, but Wayne come back and we'd started pre-season and uh, I remember us having a meeting and Wayne saying, I'm staying, I'm not going anywhere. And we all went to the Mundine and Horn fight and having celebration drinks and thinking, oh yeah, all right, our futures are sorted, we're done. And that was on a Friday night or Sunday. We got a phone call saying Wayne had, had been sacked and um, we were all told to, what do they call it, garden leave or something. I didn't even have a garden at home, so I didn't know what I was supposed <laughs> to be doing. But, <laughs> yeah, so, and then it was, yeah, it was, I was just wait and see what happened. I got contacted by Richo and who was keen to get me the rabbit eyes and 
spoke about obviously the succession plan and um, you know I'd probably had 12 months 18 months to, to prove myself at the club and which I was excited about and mm. as I've said to people before my, my dad grew up in South Sydney my grandfather owned a, a bakery when they immigrated over from England in Alexandria for years and it was a place I suppose I think my dad went to JJ Carl I think it's called oh school. yeah mascot yeah yeah mascot that's where him and his brothers all went to school so yeah it's a place that I suppose had a bit of connection with my family and definitely once once I got to the club it was wow it just it just felt fit in straight away and I probably hadn't had that at many of the clubs that I've been at in terms of that feeling straight away that this was a place you belonged at and that's a credit to South and the club that they are that they, they do make you feel welcome and, and not just myself but the family and had a decent year with the boys now it fell just one game short but you know, hopefully we can we can build on that and the future looks good at the club Mate um, we'll, we'll go into the coaching role uh, a little bit now and the game has certainly changed uh, and you probably would have witnessed that as well having been involved in the game for quite some time. The old run yeah. hard, tackle hard, hold the ball and you win, that's gone out the window basically and there's a lot of science and technology behind the game these days. Mate, yeah. h- how do the players get rated these days on their performances? There's so much involved. Yeah, I think that's probably the, the challenge as a coach is to minimise that head noise but while I suppose doing the things that you need to do to make sure the players know their roles and what they're able to do and there's a lot of sports science in there around now so you know if you even you know, 10 years ago as a coach you knew what your session was and the condition had run off you, you you almost sort of sit off them now and they tell you how much time you're getting mm. but I suppose it's maximising the amount of time you get on the field with them I think video analysis is obviously through the roof now Wayne's a bit more old school in that sense he he doesn't want it, like to put too much head noise into the players and like give the players some ownership on themselves to to do some reviews and, and look at their own game a bit more. But yeah, we definitely don't do as much as other clubs might do, but we still obviously look at the game. And I think the simpler you can make it for the players, the, the easier it is for them to go out and, and be the best they can. But I suppose there's so much talk around structure and non-structure and how the game works these days. It, it can be a bit of a mind-boggle, but... I like where the game's going at the moment. I think it's going back to that sort of more of a license to play footy mm. off the back of hard running and, and tackling hard. And I think and play what you see. Yeah, hundred percent. And you know, I, I sort of coach towards shape over structure mentality. We we need some sort of structure. So that, you know, at the end of the day, there's thirteen blokes out on the field that need to work together. And if we're all just playing off the cuff, it's hard to, to know and read each other what they're doing. But from whatever point we've got the ability to play open side, short side, we can, you know, it's up to the players to take opportunities when they get them. And I think if we can keep building on that, it gives us the license to execute under pressure. And I suppose that's where we're going at. It's where the game's going at the moment. And we've got the talent in our footy team. You know, I'm excited about where Latrell can grow in his game and how he can complement Cody and, and Renault as well. But, you know, look at Damian Cook, who's got such an outstanding running game, who's, but he's a great student of the game, wants to learn all the time. So I suppose it's about balancing that information you're giving him without over, making him overthink the game as well. He touches the ball more than he ends up playing the game. So, mm. you know, it's about giving him the information he wants, but giving it to him in a simple way that he knows he can just keep doing what he does, but just add little things to his game over a period of time. Mate, it's been brilliant hearing your rugby league story and, the peak of it will be for us is when you take over from the great Wayne Bennett in 2022. 
like you said, he said to you yeah. to think about being a head coach from the first time he was work, working together. So is there any yeah. chance you're going to be taken over any earlier? Can you give us a scoop here, or is it 2022? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm mean, weighing around with you. <laughs> already, oh, yeah. Nah, look, I, you know, my plan is to take over at 22. As you said, Wayne's contracted to the end of that. I'm, I'm more than happy and confident and com- comfortable in the role that I'm doing with Wayne, and he's got a family up north. Um, but look, for me, the, the big focus at the moment is doing everything we can over the next 18 months to, to get Wayne the premiership that, in my opinion, he deserves. I think sending him away from if he come down here to help South win a comp. So our job is to help him do that. And if we can do that within the next couple of years, that'll be outstanding way to, to, to finish his time. And then and it, it'd be a great way for me to start my time as well. So uh, that's, that's where the clubs are heading towards. And it's important that, you know, I, I respect the fact that you know Wayne's the boss and he's got a job to do and, and my job is to support him and, and that's what I'll do over the next 18 months. Yeah, we've got a pretty pretty good squad there, mate. We, me and Mavo and Brownie have been getting out some of the trials and watching a lot of those lower-grade games last year down at Metricon High Performance Stadium. We had a bit of success in yeah. the 20s. Who were some of those players coming through that, that, that you're looking forward to coaching in the coming years, mate? Yeah, for, for me, that's probably the most exciting part of the, the 2022 journey. Um, and that's probably where I've invested my time over the last 18 months in, in and around that um, pathway space and getting to know those guys outside of the, the top 30 and, and guys even you know, from our Harold Maps and our SG Ball. And you know, we've got some real, real talent coming through. I'm, I'm really excited about some of the players that will be coming. Blake Taft, Lachlan Ilias, who were the, the 20s halves uh, last year that won the Premiership. I think very different players, but big future at, at the club. You now we've tied down tough and we're hopefully going to tie down Lock and Ilias in the, in the next few months um, for the future. And then, you know, we've got Joseph Diwali, who we're hoping to lock down by the end of this year, a long-term contract who's potentially going to be an absolute superstar in the game. Super talent, yeah. Yes. Yeah, and then you know, you've, you've got blokes that are already in first grade that are only going to get better and mature. And you're, you're Campbell Graham, Cam Murray, um, Junior Tatola, Liam Knight. Um, there's a whole host of them that uh, in around that early 20s and by the time 2022 comes around, they'll be in their mid-20s and in, in their prime of their footy. So, um, and, and there's a lot of them that are juniors and that's one of the big things that, that I want to do is just make sure that the juniors are, are bringing through the talent. You know, we've got a lot of kids playing for, in, in our area and I think moving to Heffron will be a big plus for that as well and it'll connect us a bit more with the, with the junior footy in, in South Sydney. But, um, I'm excited about the talent coming through. Those guys have, have proven that their the pathway's been good. What's even better is they've spent a pre-season with us this year. Joseph Swaley came in in 16, 17. He's only 16 and did a full session of full contact with men. I mean, they, it, it was brutal. I remember him saying after the train was the hardest session he's ever done in his life. But mm. physically, he did not look out of place. Yeah, you know, what, what's his position now, uh, Jace? What, what is he? Is he just having a, the SG ball period off and then he well obviously no one's playing at the moment then he'll come back to you guys yeah well it's it's actually ended, turned out all right in terms of that he, he's obviously got commitments with his school and he's uh you know he's on scholarship there and um he's playing union at school and he, it's big year for his studies he wants to he wants to commit to that which as a club we, we fully support and most of the club are up he's a pretty good basketballer as well through his school and he's going to play some stuff there as well so 
our, our thought process was not to overload him too much and, and to let him have that bit of a break this year and, and then to come back and, and probably play under-20s next year and he'll do a full pre-season, hopefully, with the NRL at the end of this year. And Because you know, he can't play first grade till I think, August of 2021 until mm. he turns 18. So as excited as we are about him, it's important that we keep a lid on it for his sake and and for the club's future as well because you know, we don't want to burn him out and put too much expectation and pressure on the kid as well. Yeah. I, I quite like the fact that he committed to his studies and he, he wants to make sure that he, he puts things in place that, that, that allow him to have a future outside of footy. Yeah, good on um, him. Shows he's got a good attitude, uh, mate. Yeah. yeah. You know, his attitude's first class. I don't think I've met a more humble and, and well-mannered kid. Yeah. Um, so he, you know, that's an exciting talent for us. And then there's a couple of others that are the same age as him that, Young kid who plays in the centres, Terrell, um, who's had an outstanding start to the SG ball season, and a front row called Davy as well. They're both first year SG ball, but they're two players I see really progressing into our systems in the next couple of years, and and, and definitely going on and playing first grade. So, mm. I suppose the exciting thing is that the South, the junior league is, is producing talent for us, and uh, we always coach. have, mate. We always have the juniors. It's a great organisation, yeah, the juniors. Yeah, hundred percent, and working with Keith and. Luke Harry down there has been outstanding. You know, those guys do a great job. And I suppose over the next 12 months, we've got an opportunity to really align the two organisations as good as they have been in the last 20 years. So it's exciting in terms of the pathway of the club as, as a whole as well. And that's only going to help us keep bringing that, that talent through. You, know, you can't keep them all, but we definitely want to make sure that we keep in the majority of our local boys. And you, you can't buy local passion for kids who want to wear the jersey. You look at Ken Murray and Campbell Graham at the moment and, they're just oozing passion for the for the Rabbitoh jersey, and it's hard to manufacture that. You know, it's it's something that comes from within it, and you know, guys have got history at the club. I think it's Tim Murray's dad played for the club, so mm. they're the kind of players we want to make sure we nurture and, and bring it through. But make sure we're bringing them through at a level that that the, when they get into that first grade squad, they're ready to play first. They're grade ready to go. Big, yeah, that's a big thing we'll be focusing on over the next twelve to eighteen months. Yeah, mate, you mentioned Cameron and, and we had him on the show a couple of weeks ago and we got him to give us a, a review of his two performances in 2020 where he played on the edge. It was a bit of a different position for him. Yeah. You've been the assistant coach, mate. Can you give us a review from a coach's point of view of the team of the first two games? I mean, we won one and we lost one where we went right and, and what we've got to do to improve. Yeah, I think for us, we've just got to, We've got to have a bit more intent defensively with ourselves. I thought in, in even the, the game in Mudgee, we had periods of the game where we were really good and periods where we were quite ordinary. But I think you know we've got to probably start with a bit more defensive resolve than we have done, especially when we, when the season starts again because we have to hit the ground running and, and be prepared to tough wins out. You know, when we concede 20 plus points, it's hard to. It puts pressure on your attack early in the year, which is which is not what you want because it takes time for that that stuff to grow and the execution to come off. And you're not going to win games early on the year with big fancy plays. You're going to have to play tough and aggressive. And I think that's going to have to be our mindset going into the, the mini preseason that's coming up. But there were signs, you know. Everyone talked about obviously the trail and his his time at fullback. But you know, I've seen enough in the in the first two games to know that there's there's some um, real success coming his way. And he, he created a, a try-scoring opportunity for Campbell Graham. He dropped it cold twice in the game, once over the line and then once late in the game when he when he was in the centres. So, you know, and then he had a hand in, in putting James Roberts straight through that led to a try. So he's shown 
the, the you know, if they we score those three tries, you know, the, the opinion of Latrell is very different. So, hundred um, percent. I, I like the way Cody Walker started the season. I think we were physically dominated a little bit in the middle third. I thought against Brisbane, we need to. That's what I'm talking about defensively. We need to be a bit more aggressive in numbers, and that's our young pack maturing a little bit, I suppose. Mm. Um, but I, the good thing about this, I, I think I heard Cam say, it's given us an opportunity to look at those two games and know for the next four weeks when we start back at training what our main focus areas are going to be. And um, look, there's no doubt there's talent in the team. One, one thing that is pleasing is that I thought Pat Mago was one of our stars through preseason and, and, and the trial games as yeah. well. And uh, it's given him a chance to recover and, and be fit for, for that first game back as well, which will give us some size and, and um, aggression up front as well, which will be good. Yeah, he looked good in the yeah. charity shield. He had a massive second half in the charity shield. They mm. couldn't contain him. Yeah, Torn Peck, and yeah. instead of sitting out the eight weeks, the, this has played into our hands nicely, getting back, hopefully, when we get back on the field. Yeah, I mean, him and Harmay Sello have been real success stories of our pre-season as well. I mean, both of them come in and um, on train and trial. I mean, Harmay had four weeks and within three weeks, it earned himself a starting spot in their round one side. And um, Pat had you know, the, the pre-season to, to prove his worth. And um, both of them have signed full-time contracts and, and, and proven that uh, our environment can, can nurture those guys and give them that second opportunity. And, and they've shown that they can play first grade for us, which is great for us because it's, we, we've backed them and, and you know they really want to give back to the club, which is important. We mentioned Harmay Sello. He was impressive. Those first couple of games, in particular against Quinlan, I think we scored a try if he's pretty quick, played the ball. So uh, that's the sort of things we're looking for there. Yeah, just a little bit of NRL current news there, mate, with Todd Greenberg standing down yesterday. Have you got any thoughts on who you think should take over? I know some of the names tossed up, Valandis, Phil Gould, and our own Blake Solly. No, count out Blake oh. Solly. We don't want Blake to go because we're, <laughs> yeah. we're already short in that department, but yeah. Yeah. Well, I hope Blake doesn't go. Me too. Um, yeah, so do we. Part of the succession plan that we're putting in place is, is um, has Blake's name all over it. So it'd be good to see to see that through with with Blake. Um, a lot of respect for how he, he goes about his business and the work that he's done. But oh, I think Belandis is a man myself. I think he's he's come in as the leader of the organisation, and he's he, he's the one I think that's got the political, but also the leadership qualities that we need to, to take the game forward. I don't see. I think he's shown that over the last month. I'd be very surprised if it's if it's not him who who doesn't take over. If he wants that job, I'm I would assume that he's the man to do it. I don't think anyone in the game would argue with that. I think the playing group would definitely support it. And the clubs, yeah, and the clubs. So I think at the moment he's, a, he's the chairman of the, of the of the game, but I think of the commission, but. I think a more hands-on role will suit him and look what he's done in racing and you know, he's built the game up there and in a short time he's, he's made massive waves in rugby league and I think now's the time for him probably to, to really get control of the game. Mate, just finally, Cam Murray spoke about you on the podcast a couple of weeks ago and he's got huge reps on you and you're obviously very yep. popular with the staff and the players. How does that make you feel, mate, to be seen as a so popular with everybody yeah. there? For me, the number one thing that you want as a coach, and it's not always about being liked, but you need to be respected. And you need to be respected in a few areas, I suppose. It's that care factor for the playing group and your staff, but also the ability to teach them um, when they turn up to training, that they know that they're getting the information that they need that's going to help them individually be better, but also the team to get the results that we want. And so that's the challenge for me. That's the challenge that I enjoy. You know, I don't come into this job with a reputation as, 
as one of the high-profile NRL players, I, I come in as a coach who's, who's earned the right to, to be here. And um, I suppose the day that I come to work and I don't have that attitude will be the day that I finish. I think you're always trying to prove yourself and, in, and put your mark on the playing group while supporting them as well. And, and that's one of the things I've learned from Wayne is you know, his care factor for the players is, is very similar to, to the way I see the game. But you know, I, I come through clubs in England where we, we did the coaching pretty much. Uh, as you guys would know, John Key was one of the best man motivators I'd worked with. Even I, I'd put him up there with Wayne. His ability to motivate teams is outstanding, but the technical and individual coaching that you get probably is better in Australia, and that's probably something that um, I learned over there and has probably allowed me to, to get those reps on the playing group. But it is important. At the end of the day, they're the guys that are out there. You're spending most time with day in and day out. So if they don't respect who you are, and then secondly, respect the knowledge that you have for the game, then you're in a bit of trouble. But that might change when I'm the boss. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. good stuff. Well, they, well, Cam did say you're still, you're still a bit of a joker and you like a laugh. So, yeah, I think you've got, to, you've got to find the right balance there, don't you? Oh, 100%. I mean, one of the, for me, one of the, the biggest things I didn't like was when people say, oh, I'm not here to be your friend. Mm. Um, you know, as a, as a coach, I... I just don't see how in an environment that we're working in, we can have a mindset where we're, we don't want to have the qualities that a friend brings. 100%. I mean, yep. I, you, you, the player, especially our young players, I mean, they're dealing with things more now than they ever have in terms of the pressures. And a lot of that goes back to money. Mm. I mean, the more money you earn, the more pressure that puts on you, both from your family and, and the expectation that's on your shoulders. And, and, and at the end of the day, our game's a, a game from working class. It is has always been and will always be and with that come players that come from all sorts of backgrounds so what, one of the things I'll, I'll say in the head coaching journey so far that's probably given me more pride than any of the success that I've had is when I've had probably four or five players come to me that are having a real tough time mentally and, and struggling away from footy you know for them to come and open up and tell you the things that that are troubling them and give that trust and confidence that you're someone that they, they can speak to is, is probably the the one thing that I get out of most and more than, more than winning competitions and I suppose that's probably why I've, I've learned to get into coaching. Uh, it's that feeling that you get from knowing that you've created an environment that helps people um, and hopefully helps them when they finish playing as well. Yeah. Well, not only are you popular with the team and the staff, but I think after listening to you give us this time, you'll be popular with our listeners and the Rabbitohs fans as well. You've taken the long road, the hard road, uh, on your on your great journey so far, and basically it's made it's just about to begin. And uh, we look forward to watching you over the next couple of years, mate. Thanks for joining us on Rabbitohs Radio. Thanks, JD. Thanks, mate. No, worries. thanks, guys. Appreciate it. <laughs> well, what about that? We kept him for a while, but it was just an interesting chat. What a rugby league story that is. And it's only halfway through. It's going to go on to bigger and better things. When he takes over in 2022, there's some brilliant players coming through, like Joseph Suwali and a couple of those other kids that he mentioned. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but... And he also mentioned... Suwali's a talent, isn't he, by the sounds of it? Yeah. He also mentioned that bakery. I wonder if that's Burke Street Bakery. I'm pretty sure it is, boys, yeah. Burke yeah. Street Bakery. BSB. Yep. So he was the founder of one of our... Fantastic sponsors, Burke Street Bakery. What about that? Yeah. yeah. There's his connection with the show, and he, he said he said he spent a lot of time in and around that area. His, his family has anyway. What a, what a champion bloke. 
Yes. You know, he's, he's done the hard yards. He started at the bottom, you know, a lowly second division. Give us a lot of time to... In time in, in the UK. Yep. Lancashire Lynx. And, you know, 2022, he's going to be coaching the, the proudest team in the competition, the yep. Mighty Rabbitohs. Yep. And you can see why he's so popular. We noticed that first time we meet him, Brownie. Yep. Cameron Murray said the same thing. Yep. And he's just got he's just that sort of guy. Well, I've got a connection with him. I actually went to the same high school as him as yep, well. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Festival boys. And we I didn't know that until, very I, approachable. until I met him. Yeah. And we all played for the same team in England. At Trafford Borough. Yeah. Okay, so we're just talking about Burke Street Bakery there. And we'll move on to the rabbit of the week is Carol Benson from Botany. Not not to be confused with Carol Baskin from the Tiger King, <laughs> mind you. No, 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 not that Carol. Different Carol. And Carol has won a coffee voucher for a month at any of the fourteen Burke Street Bakery stores. And this was because she requested some stickers from us. And simple as that, she's won the voucher. So congrats. Okay, so let's move on to NRL news brought to you by NG Farrah Real Estate. And the big news was that Todd Greenberg got the axe. Well, we mentioned it on the show many weeks ago that, that he was on his last legs. So, the first of all, the broadcasters refused to negotiate with him. So, Channel 9 mainly. Yep. They, don't, they don't want to deal with him. He yep. lost, yeah. Um, he wasn't transparent with the clubs. The clubs were going yeah, he over He had a vote of no confidence from the clubs and at the all. broadcasters. Yeah. Yep. So, the clubs in today, I mean, I watched Fox Live last night and they had all the, all the big journos on, Paul Kent and... Brent Reid, and they, they're all saying the same thing. The clubs were going over his head and NRL headquarters and going straight to Volandis. Straight, where to, the, where straight to the commission, yeah. That's right, yeah. where they're supposed to be going through Which wasn't Greenberg. a train of, chain of command. So yeah, yeah, that's right. That's, yeah. You know, $10 million went missing of the players' retirement fund. So the, the fund, there's funds that have gone missing. Someone's head had the roll. And, Without uh, bagging him too much, it, it, it's sort of... You can go back to the Bulldogs. They had a fairly good squad there for a few years and overachieved a couple of times, making the GF twice. But he didn't leave him in a great financial position with all these back-ended deals. And I know they passed the blame on the Rayleigh Castle, who probably contributed to that. Yep. So I think the game's going to be in a better position um, no matter who they appoint. Now, we asked JD earlier. You probably heard um, Jason Demetrio's um, response to who he thinks should be on there. I- I'd like to see Peter Volandi step up. Jump off the commission, step up into that CEO role, boys. Mm. That's that'd be my pick, and my second pick would be Phil Gould, who is one of the great rugby league minds. And we only heard that last week the the respect that he's got from people like Ian Roberts in the game and, and whatnot. Yeah, well, we mentioned uh, Phil Gould a few weeks ago, and Wayne Bennett. I think we might have even mentioned Wayne Bennett, but um, no, we don't want to lose Wayne this early. No, yeah. well, I, I think I think all of all of them. Uh, candidates you've just mentioned, chaps, have ruled themselves out. Phil, yeah, Phil ruled himself out. But now that it's vacant, I haven't heard him rule himself out since it's been vacant. That was only before the position wasn't vacant. Well, he spoke to Danny Wilder uh, on last night's news and he said there's nothing to discuss. But they get around uh-huh. at these little uh, these little quotes. So he put the red pen straight through it, did he? Oh, well. yeah. yeah, so we need someone to take charge. And if you look at the AFL model, they invested in... Dockland Stadium. Now they've got this asset worth hundreds of millions of dollars, which they can now borrow against mm. the banks. Whereas the NRL, what do we they, got? We got nothing. No, we got heaps of footies. I've seen this. <laughs> no, I've seen this room. It had about nine and a half thousand footballs in it. So, yeah. so do they go out and value footballs? No, unfortunately <laughs> not. So this is one of the problems. So we need to. 
get someone who can get in there and make some correct decisions and take the game forward. Especially financially. Yes. You know, it's oh, it's like, tough, like we said. Toughest that, time facing the game. We've got our CEO standing down. Under, anyway. There was a lot, of, there was a lot of financial misleading there. Yeah, over the last you know, mismanagement, couple, well, a lot couple of waste. Of well, Fox Sports is reporting that there's a 1.5 million dollars that can't be accounted for there. Yeah. So that, yeah. hey, and well, that's what they're saying. It's where get, is it? That's Fox Sports. The yeah. players are, are wanting 10 million. But Where's mind you, you million? can't believe everything you read and hear on Fox Sports. Yeah. Mind yeah. you, they have got that news limited agenda. Yeah, yeah well, but anyway. it stems back to well, the broadcasters don't want to deal with him. So no, no, you're right. Well, they're saying it stems back to Greenberg again when he was at the Dogs. They, he started paying Des a million dollars. Then he was hiring psychologists, three physios, a club doctor, four assistant coaches, and the cost just blew out. It was yeah, a, yeah, it was yeah. an unsustainable model that flowed onto all the clubs and in the NRL, and it was just it's the bubbles burst mm. as a result of this drama. So yeah, we need to get it fixed. Well, all the facts will come out in the next twenty four to forty eight hours, and uh, then we can move forward and try and appoint somebody and uh, get the game up well, and I running like again. I like the way he operates at Peter Valandis myself, but um. Yeah. Oh well, he had huge success with racing New South Wales, and we're all hoping that he can bring that to us. Even though he can't pronounce rugby league, I still want him up there. <laughs> a rugby league, he calls it. But um, anyway, boys, I might get used to take it out, Maver. Great show, boys. Good show. See you next week. The South Sydney Rabbitohs are favoured to win here, with six players from the juniors in the lineup today. There's the kickoff, and it's taken by Rabbitohs Radio, who look for support and hand the ball off to Rise Foundation Australia, who charge into the opposition and don't give up possession. Export Freight Systems gets into dummy half and delivers a perfectly timed pass to NG Farrah Real Estate in full flight. They sell the dummy and go straight through. They're away with the fullback to beat. A flying Burke Street Bakery looms up and catches a lovely ball to score a beautiful meat pie underneath the posts. Rabbitohs Radio is hosted by Grant Chapel, Darren Brown, and me, Steve Maven, and is brought to you by Export Freight Systems, The Juniors, NG Farah, Rise Foundation, and Burke Street Bakery. For more information on this episode, click the episode webpage in the show notes, and please remember to subscribe and leave us a review. We'd also like you to follow our Rabbitohs Radio Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube channel. We'll be back next week with another episode, and up the mighty Rabbitohs. Thank you.